How does the brain process memories? Why is AI a solution and a problem for our climate? What is leadership in 2025 and beyond? The TED Radio Hour explores the biggest questions and the most complicated ideas of our time with the world's greatest thinkers. Listen now to the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Hey, thanks for listening to The Last Cup. We'd love to know what you think about this podcast. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we could improve by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash survey. A quick warning before we start today's show. This episode contains explicit language. The 2022 World Cup in Qatar was supposed to be Lionel Messi's cup. The Argentine national team's very first game against Saudi Arabia was predicted to be a win that would set the team off on the right foot. I woke up at 4 a.m. to see the game live from my house in New York. A neighbor came in her pajamas to watch it with me. Of course, things didn't turn out quite as expected. After a historic 2-1 to loss for Argentina, my phone blew up. I was bombarded by Argentine friends living abroad like me who were angry and disheartened. Tristísimo, boluda. Tristísimo, tristísimo. So sad. So sad. My friends kept saying. Well, kind of expected, some other friends said with resignation. This is how things often go for us. See, if you've been paying attention to our podcast, you know... This is not Messi's first stumble with the Argentina national team. It's more like a constant, awkward dance they do. And things have been much, much worse. In fact, a few years ago, the relationship between Messi and the national squad became so acrimonious, they almost went their separate ways. It happened during the Copa América 2016. After World Cup, a Copa América is the most important trophy for any national team in South America. At that point, Argentina hadn't won it in over two decades. And that year, we had made it to the final. The national team was facing off against Chile. Yet again, the pressure was on for Messi. That man trying to end a 23-year senior trophy drought for Argentina. The game ended with penalty kicks. Chile went first. Vidal, saved by Romero. Argentina's goalie, Sergio Romero, stopped it. Messi, he was up next for Argentina. And you know, by then, if you were to ask the average Argentine fan about Messi, I suspect a lot of people would have said they'd given up. Because at that point, he'd failed to win three consecutive Copa Américas. He'd played in three World Cups and had only scored one goal after the round of 16. He'd spent around a decade trying to win over the hearts of his own people, and it just hadn't worked. This kick could have maybe changed the way Argentines felt about Messi back then. But guess what? Astonishing. For a second successive year, 
Chile beat Argentina on penalties in the Copa America final. Chile became the champion of La Copa. Messi, he just stood there looking thunderstruck while the Chileans celebrated their well-earned victory. Lionel Messi and Argentina lose in a major final for the third year running. He stared out into the horizon, crying silently. After the match, as Messi walks out of the locker room, a journalist approaches him, mic in hand, and makes this very dramatic remark. You died with dignity, but you died once again. Messi just kind of mutters. It's over. I am done with this team. It's too many losses. I searched for it. It was all that I wanted. And now it's over. And that frustration almost broke him. Alexis Nunes is ESPN's European soccer correspondent. She says that what Argentine fans didn't understand is that when Messi lost with Argentina... You know, those were the losses that cut him the deepest. Those were the the hurts that would keep him up at night. He felt that he was failing the country. And this was one loss too many. The 2016 Copa America is infamous in that, in that way now because it was sort of like the last straw for him. Felipe Cárdenas covers soccer for The Athletic. If a player of his stature is ready to walk away from his national team, it must be a really, really tough place to be, even for him. You know, one of my favorite words in Spanish is añoranza. I don't think there's a great translation for it in English. You might say, like, a deep yearning. In Portuguese... You'd maybe say saudade. Hondurans might say musepo. Galicians call this kind of sadness morinia, which comes from the Latin word that means to die. That's how deep this feeling of longing can be. Argentina has always been my añoranza, and I believe it's Messi's as well. He longed for the country where we are both from the country we left and have been trying to reconnect with ever since. And isn't that what so many of us who have left home struggle with? Longing for a place that's out of our reach? Welcome to the final episode of The Last Cup, brought to you by NPR and Futuro Studios. I'm Jasmine Garst. Today on the show, La Ñoranza, The Longing. How Messi got his groove back with the Argentine national team and where they stand now. And a secret to finding your way back home despite the disappointments. When Messi quits, Argentines are like, wait, what? He can do that? And ironically, after years of bullying Messi, what ensues is a mass meltdown. This one video goes viral of a kid who looks like he's about six years old 
His mom is trying to calm him down as he sobs inconsolably. Hijo, she says, don't cry. Messi's going to come back. But the kid isn't so sure, and neither is anyone else. In Buenos Aires, some subway stations change their announcement screens to No te vayas, Leo. Don't leave us, Leo. And then there's this tidal wave of videos being posted on social media of children asking Messi to come back. Hola, Leo. Soy Santi. Te quiero contar que yo también una vez rompí. Leo, my name is Santi. And I want to tell you that I, too, once missed a penalty kick, and it hurts a little. But in soccer, you always get your revenge. And I promise you will get yours. You will win the next cup. All I ask is that you come back to Argentina, please. But despite the fervor, there were still some holdouts. El pibe no podía. The kid couldn't handle it. The responsibility was too much for him. Messi wasn't prepared to be the captain of the national team. Flavio Asado, an Argentine sports commentator, one of the most vehement Messi critics in the country. We'll hear more from him later. In any case, what fans and critics had to say seemed to matter very little. Because for almost two months, all we got from Messi was radio silence. It was our turn to stew in la ignoranza. I'm going to save you some time here. Messi came back a few months later. He did it in true Messi form, with a succinct and wholesome statement that basically said, I only wanted to help. I love my country. When you're the best, you feel more responsible. The burden is bigger. You have to carry everyone. And he knows that Argentina needs him. Simon Cooper is an author and columnist for the Financial Times. He's covered much of Messi's career. He says this need to perform in order to keep everyone happy, it runs deep in Messi. I think if you think of Argentina as a family, it's an unhappy family. And there's the prodigal son. And he's gone away. And they say, you're never here. You're never cool. You're never right. When you come back. You're never as, as golden as you are when you're away. And so the prodigal son has, he feels this responsibility to make the Argentinian family happy. Messi was back with the family, but I always felt like the mood had shifted. There was another World Cup in 2018. That did not go well. Argentina didn't even make it past the round of 16. After that, Messi took another break. It really was like a toxic relationship. The national team was just stuck in this weird time loop, making the same mistakes over and over again. Argentina was viewed as like, well, they just have a bunch of individual players that are really good, that are playing on their own, that are freelancing, essentially. Felipe Cárdenas says... And I think Messi, being the sort of athlete that he is, the superstar mega athlete, it was even hard for him to put on that shirt and to play in a way where even the Argentina fans were like, okay, we have this great team, we have this great player, but in the end, we're going to fail. And like that weighs on a team. Nobody would have admitted this publicly, but let's be real. The next big tournament for Argentina would be the 2021 Copa América. And it really seemed like we had no chance of winning. And a World Cup? Forget about it. Things were bad. And in the midst of Argentina and Messi's on-again, off-again relationship, 
the Argentine Soccer Federation decides to spice things up. In 2018, they bring in a substitute coach, Leonel Escaloni. But there's a problem. He's not really well known. For context, you either have to be a legendary former player or have a long resume filled with high-profile coaching gigs to take over the national team. And have a closet filled only with tracksuits. I'm only half kidding about that one. Scaloni? Very few had heard about him in Argentina. He had a quiet demeanor. He seemed so gracious about getting this opportunity. Here he is on Day Says Sports, right after getting the job. In a rare show of emotion, Scaloni's voice cracked, overwhelmed at the opportunity. I would say I'm emotional about getting this chance, he says. I'm sorry, it's hard to keep talking. It was so nice, I wasn't expecting it. This is a guy who spent about half of his career playing abroad until he became interested in coaching. He's young, untested, and seen as an outsider. This whole combo freaks people in Argentina out. Like this one announcer commenting on Scaloni during a national team game he coached. He's like, hey, we're in the middle of a crisis and you want to bring in a young dude we've never heard of? These are the coaches of the Argentina team? It's absurd and it's disrespectful to actual soccer coaches. Coming up, Scaloni comes up with a plan to save the team, but will pundits, critics, and fans let him stick around long enough to execute it? I asked him myself. Hola, si Jasmine Garza, National Public Radio. That's after the break. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Humans are kind of overrated. Over on Shortwave, a science podcast, we're only kind of kidding. We're bringing you the wondrous world of animal science to your daily life. From queer animal love stories to songbird memories, we're showing you how critter knowledge informs human science. Listen now to Shortwave, a podcast from NPR. Early on in his tenure as coach of the national Argentine team, the criticisms against Scaloni reached a fever pitch. There were some links there to being a foreigner in his own country. Some of them might actually sound familiar. Like, how do we know you're even a good coach and living the life in, in Europe and while we're here, you know, suffering, you know, in poverty and social unrest? It, that is always, it's, it rubs people the wrong way. Maybe you've heard this before. This tired old trope of, oh, he left, so he's not really from here anymore. 
What critics were missing was that Scaloni had a plan. And Cardenas says part of the strategy was his kinship with Messi. Well, any coach should have a relationship with a player, but I really do think that this one between Scaloni and Messi is special. They do understand each other. They're both from the rural province of Santa Fe. Scaloni played soccer professionally there. And like Messi and so many Argentine youths, he got an offer to go to Spain. So early on as a coach, he tries to find a way for Messi to finally feel at home with the Argentine national team. I recently asked Scaloni myself. Hola, si Jasmine Garza, the National Public Radio. At a press conference for the current Argentine squad. Eh, ¿Qué cambios sentís que has logrado con esta selección que vemos están rindiendo ahora, produciendo una victoria tras otra? What was the plan? Bueno, un poco lo, lo que comentaba antes de... Even if you have the best, if it's not a team, it won't work. So I wanted to encourage a sense of belonging, Scaloni told me. We have great players, but above all, we have a team. This might sound like a fluff sports answer, but what Scaloni is describing is what every single coach Messi has ever had in Argentina has tried to do. Build a team. Not just a bunch of superstar pibes, a team. And at this point in Messi's career, Cardenas points out, building a team around Messi, it's no longer an option. It's a necessity. What happens to these great players in every sport? You know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, uh, even Serena Williams, like they all have to change how they play in the latter stages of their career. And so Lionel Messi is like no exception. Like he's not the guy that can take on eight players like he used to. Someone at his level can just pick his moments. And that's why it's so important to put players around him that will do the running, that will sacrifice their bodies. So Scaloni, he assembles a lineup of players who have one big point in common with Messi. Almost every single one of them plays for a European club. Several left as teenagers. This is a team made up of people who left and dream of coming back to play for the Argentine national team. Sports writer Guillem Balaguer says... Football is a mirror of society. Quite clearly, trying to find a job as a football professional in Europe has become a trend uh, that started uh, in the early 2000s. And that adds something else to those that go through it. There is going back home. Messi, he used to be the weird kid who left before it was the norm for talented young players in Argentina. For better or for worse, he's no longer the outlier. Now... The dream for many pibes is to leave. Consider this. The 1978 Argentina squad, which won a World Cup, had only one player who played abroad. In the winning 1986 team, it was only like six players who played in Europe. In today's team, almost everyone plays abroad. You idealize your land. You idealize playing for your national side. So those that have left early in their lives, they have Argentina in their hearts. And uh, and that shows in the way they, they play for the ball and they play to get it back. And when they have it, what they do with it. In many ways, I guess, this is Team Añoranza. The longing. But who knew if it could actually work? They'd have to prove themselves. And they would get their first big test in the 2021 Copa America. But by the time the tournament rolled around, I was checked out. 
So were a lot of Argentine fans I knew. Because you know what? Screw longing. Screw añoranza. That's how I felt back then. It was just stressful to watch us lose again and again. The messy hatred over the years had worn me out. It was too much. And on a personal note, after my grandmother's death, my relationship with Argentina and with soccer felt strained. It had all become very painful. Felipe Cárdenas from The Athletic says, It felt like this was another opportunity to fail for Argentina. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm just dying to watch us lose for the 10th time in a row in 28 years. By the way, this wasn't just any Copa America final. This was Brazil versus Argentina, hosted in Brazil. Two titans of soccer, historic rivals. And Brazil's team in 2021 was incredible. I was ready to just hand the trophy to Brazil. They were an absolute force. Felipe Cárdenas says, like me, he knew exactly how this was going to end. And this Brazil team was breaking their records, beating everybody. They didn't draw anyone. They were just destroying everyone in South America. I just felt Brazil would win. I didn't even have Argentina as contending at that final level. So I headed over to a neighborhood bar. I was not wearing my lucky socks because... Really, why bother at this point? And I warned my friends, I will probably be in a bad mood and I'm going to leave early. A little Miss Delightful over here. While I was apathetically sipping beer at a hole in the wall in Brooklyn, Lionel Messi was giving the inspirational speech of his career in a locker room in Rio. Most people only heard this speech sometime later, when Netflix included Messi's pep talk in a documentary. We built a beautiful team and I enjoyed it so much. It's strange to hear Messi say he's happy while wearing our team jersey. It's even odder to hear him sound so commanding. I mean, he's still messy, a soft-spoken kid from Rosario who swallows his consonants, but he's light years away from that shy boy who got nervous and scared before games. We had a goal, and we are one small step away. One small step. As he speaks, the rest of the team looks at him with so much respect. These are players who identify with his journey and look up to him like a father figure, like a captain. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the bar in New York, I watched the team walk out into an almost empty stadium. This was all happening during the height of the pandemic in Brazil. All you could see on TV were a couple of diehard fans and a stray cat in the bleachers. And it felt bizarre because Argentina was playing at the massive Estadio Maracaná in Rio. And now the two most successful South American nations at the World Cup will contest the final of the Copa America. But it doesn't feel like the two most successful South American nations at soccer. It's more like there's about to be a smackdown. So the game starts, and honestly, I'm not even paying close attention. But suddenly... 
three minutes in. Long Di Maria got in behind. It's a mistake by the defense. Di Maria, a little chip, and he scores. This is when I started to pay attention and notice. We're playing really well. You know what's wonderful about that goal? Messi's name isn't even mentioned in the play. That's the whole point. He didn't need to carry that team because they came together and other players stepped up and won it in dramatic fashion. Cardenas says something snapped into place. It's like they'd realized... You know, maybe this is a game that we need to win with a knife between our teeth. Not only that, the team was passing it to each other. They were moving up and down in coordination. Even weirder, they looked like they were having fun. Sometime during the second half, I realized, wait, can they hold on to this lead? This might actually happen. We might actually win something for the first time in over 20 years. As the clock wound down in the Spanish-language commentary, the announcer, he sounded more like a doula. Come on, come on, push, push. You can do it, you can do it, baby. You're almost there. Brazil played really well till the very end. Final seconds. But after a few minutes of stoppage time, the ref blew his whistle. And as soon as he did, Messi fell to his knees, sobbing. This is his first major win with Argentina since 2008, when he won the Olympics 14 years ago. The team runs to him, and their embrace swallows him whole. Just like when he was a small prodigy on the fields of Rosario. In the Spanish language broadcast, the announcer goes all out. Thanking the soccer gods, including Lionel Messi. And me? I'm just sitting there at this bar in Brooklyn, feeling like I've been struck by lightning. Have you ever run into someone who broke your heart many years ago and you suddenly realize how much time has passed? You both look different, older. You've both changed so much. And maybe you think to yourself, what if we give this another try? If these players can carve a space for themselves back home, maybe so can I. Coming up after the break, making peace. I'm going to defend Messi like I'm his father. And a secret to going back home. That's next. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. 
find us wherever you get your podcasts. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. I went back to Argentina a few months ago to do this podcast. I hadn't been back in years. On the ride from the airport to my best friend Gabby's house, the driver and I talked about soccer. And I looked out the window while a past life passed in front of me. This is La Calecita, the merry-go-round where my grandfather took me after school. This is the park where I used to smoke cheap tobacco with my friends. That's the bus I took to grandma's. Like so many Latin American buses, it looks like a vintage UFO on wheels. When I left this place, I tried everything. I tried staying in touch. I lived a parallel life on the immigrant matrix known as WhatsApp. I tried to forget, and I tried to remember. I tried running underwater so I could at least make it back in time to say one last goodbye. But I was running late all the time. And on this ride through my old city, I understood that I'm from here. But this is no longer home. Now I live in La Ñoranza, in the longing, with all the other people who left. Of course, when Gabby greeted me, that feeling of being a tourist in my own land started to melt away. (laughs) Sometime later, while Gabby rolled a cigarette on his couch, we talked about that feeling that I just couldn't shake off. You know, the feeling of being out of place at home. I explained that I have this anxiety that no matter where I am, I'm going to miss someone somewhere. And he is the person I miss the most. And Gabby, the master of tough love, responded. You're going to have to learn to live with this, with la ñoranza. It might sound cold, he says, but learn to live with la ñoranza. Take that yearning and turn it into something that moves you. Let the longing be what drives you. Te amo mucho. Y yo a vos, Jasmine. Let the record show. Gaby loves me. <laughs> Part of the reason I made this trip was to find out, did Argentines feel any different about Messi now that he'd won La Copa América? And not only that, Team Añoranza was on a roll. They'd won La Finalísima back in June of this year. That's the match between European and South American champions. The World Cup in Qatar was coming up, and there were big expectations, which I know, I'm watching the World Cup. 
the national team's performance would be uneven. But still, back then, hopes were high. So I headed over to meet with one of the biggest, loudest Messi critics in all of Argentina. Someone I'd come to think of as the voice of anti-Messi sentiment. Sports journalist Flavio Asado. In TV and on YouTube, Asado has played the part of the irate soccer fan who has been furious at Messi's mediocre performance with Argentina for over 10 years. But when I finally sat down to talk to him about Messi, I was blown away by what I heard. He's really doing us proud out there. I mean, look, Messi is going to have bad days. I hope he retires here. I love to see him. Wait, how did this guy screaming for Messi's resignation on television turn into this guy? I'm not going to hate on him for not playing a game well. It seemed symbolic that even Messi's biggest critic had come around. It was a tide change. I'd been noticing it all around me. People in Argentina wanted to see Messi succeed, especially Azaro. In his case, he says he had an epiphany when he took a trip abroad. He found himself on a beach, surrounded by tourists, sipping coconuts. They annoyed him greatly. One of the tourists, a Spaniard, struck up a conversation about Messi. And this tourist starts going off about how much he despises Messi. And here, Azaro finds himself in a strange position. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, pal. Of defending the honor of the man who he has criticized for most of his career. I can criticize the kid. You can't. If some Spanish tourist comes at me criticizing Messi, I'm going to defend Messi like I'm his father. So at this point, I just asked him, did he still think that Messi is not really Argentine? That he's essentially a foreigner? Messi is a kid who was born in Argentina, but he became Argentine when he grew up. And then he issued one of the most sincere-sounding apologies I've ever heard from a Messi critic. No, yo lo que empecé a, a sentir es que, es I que guess what I started feeling was, eh, evidently, this weighed heavy on the kid. And I started to understand that maybe when I said, Messi is in Argentine on a TV show, which I've done, it could hurt him. I mean, you don't realize it. I didn't realize what I said was hurtful. After I left Argentina, I followed the national team as they played friendly matches in New Jersey and Miami. I wanted to see how they were doing and speak to fans about Messi's last World Cup. The people I talked to were excited. Like me, they were starting to allow some optimism to creep back in. Outside one game, I met Diego Pérez from Buenos Aires, who had never seen Messi play in person. It's a dream come true, he says. Diego's story, like a lot of people at these games, sounds really familiar. He told me he's lived in the U.S. for 23 years. 
I identify with Messi because he had to fend for himself in another country, just like us. I often thought to myself, I've made a mistake. I cried a lot back then. I was so far away from my family. Diego says these games are magical. Being here at a game is like this little piece of home. He makes me proud to be Argentine. He deserves a World Cup. It was during Argentina's second game at the Qatar World Cup that we saw some of that magic, the spark that had been missing from that terribly anticlimactic game against Saudi Arabia. This time, Argentina was playing against Mexico. Have it! Argentina won 2-0, and again against Poland. Which sent us to the round of 16. Now, I know what you want me to tell you. Lionel Messi is going to finally win it all this time, like the soccer gods that came before him. But what if he doesn't win this cup? Will he still get to come back home in the way he always dreamt of coming back home? A hero? I'm going to tell you a secret before I go. It's the secret to how you go back home. So, my first few years in the U.S., I was miserable. Watching a soccer game on TV was one of the few reprieves. Back then, my mother was always yelling at me. Wake up, Rahmin. Go to school, Rahmin. Go to bed, Rahmin. The one thing she never, ever told me was, Rahmin, you can always go back home if this doesn't work out. I used to think that was because she was kind of a hard ass, but... Now I realize it's because that would have been a lie. The secret to going back home is that you never do. Because the moment you left, that place you loved so much and also took for granted, it stopped existing as you remembered it. And so did you. You will do other things. It will be a dream and it will be a nightmare. You will make it work somehow. You will learn to run underwater. You will lose matches you thought were a given. You will make goals that look like magic tricks. And when they ask you how you did it, you will know that you let the longing be what drove you. Quick message before we go. Be on the lookout for a bonus episode on this feed. We'll talk about how Messi did in his last World Cup, and we'll dive into some analysis about his next moves. Thank you for tuning in. We'd love to know what you think about this podcast. Please help us out by telling us what you like and how we could improve by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash last cup survey. 
The Last Cup is a co-production of NPR and Futuro Studios. This episode was produced by Skylar Swenson with help from Andrew Mambo and support from Paz S. Sarabia. Our editor is Luis Treyes. Our bilingual team of producers includes Fernanda Echavarri, Marlon Bishop, Julieta Martinelli, Juan Diego Ramirez, Angelina Moshar Salazar, Lee Hale, Nick M. Neves, and our intern for this series was Cameron Howell. The voiceover actor for this episode was Facundo Vázquez. Our mix engineer for this episode was Josh Newell. Special thanks to Gregory Warner, Jennifer Schmidt, Leah Danella, Maria Garcia, Russell Lewis, Liana Simstrom, Irene Caselli, and Daniel Alarcón. Amanda Lotspike, Sean Phillips, Brian McCabe, Veronica Valletti Flores, Mike Mayones, Manny Garst, Luciana Rosa, Ramiro Cordini, Chino Viscotti, Juan Chiesa, and Salvador Espinosa. Also, Antonia Cerejido, Liliana Ruiz, Nicole Rothwell, Monica Campbell, Alana Casanova Burgess, and Malen Dennis. Our first episode was produced by Skylar Swenson and Andrew Mambo. Fact-checking by Sarah Knight. Mary Glendenning is the deputy chief of NPR's research, archives, and data strategy. Music for this episode provided courtesy of ZZK Records. Our production coordinator was Margaret Price. Katie Simon is the supervising editor for Embedded. Lauren Gonzalez is the senior manager of the content development team. We also had help from Micah Ratner and Tony Cavan. Our executive producers are Yolanda Sanguini for NPR and Marlon Bishop for Futuro Studios. Anya Grunman is Senior Vice President for Programming and Audience Development. We love getting feedback from listeners. You can send us a message at thelastcup at npr.org. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR.